Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the riches, the glorious riches in your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us this privilege to dig deep into your word and to learn from your Holy Spirit. We open ourselves up to you and we ask for your help, that you would help us, Father, to build authentic community. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited to be sharing with you on this subject of vulnerability today. We're continuing in our series on activating authentic community. And it's great to see that many people in the church are beginning to put some of these principles into practice. You see, vulnerability has been defined as the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed physically, emotionally, socially, environmentally, or even economically. You know, one can end up in vulnerable situations by default or by choice. You can choose to make yourself vulnerable or you can end up in a vulnerable situation by choice. In essence, vulnerability has to do with risk. It has to do with risk. And one could argue that love is spelled R-I-S-K. Love is risky business. Building community is risky business. When you make yourself vulnerable, you're placing yourself at risk. And when I talk about risk, I'm talking about the risk of being rejected, the risk of being misunderstood, the risk of being harmed emotionally, the risk of being harmed economically or physically. And many people are not willing to do this. That's why some people will choose not to get married. And they might say, I might get abused. I might have someone controlling my life because marriage in itself is also a risk. There's lots of blessing in it, but there's also a lot of risk, right? So this is why many people avoid the state of vulnerability. And what I've learned is that our behavior is often influenced by the avoidance of specific emotional states. Have you noticed that? Whenever we don't want to do something, right? Very often we're actually avoiding a particular feeling, a particular emotion that we've grown accustomed to and we're saying, I don't want to go there anymore, okay? Now, sadly, when we fail to make ourselves vulnerable, we also miss out on some of the greatest blessings of human relations. Think about it. You know, someone once said that vulnerability opens us up for both wounding and pleasure, for both wounding and pleasure. And I believe that one of the biggest hindrances to activating authentic community is the failure to make ourselves vulnerable. And I believe that vulnerability is often a choice. Making yourself vulnerable is often a choice. What many have failed to realize is this. You cannot build emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of vulnerability. A lot of people desire emotional intimacy. They want to feel close, but they're constantly feeling lonely. And that loneliness is very painful for them, that deep sense of isolation. But often they haven't made the choice to make themselves vulnerable. And I often say to people that emotional intimacy is built one conversation at a time. And in each conversation, we can make a choice with regards to the degree of vulnerability that we're going to embrace. Emotional intimacy is actually a core pillar of relational trust. That sense of, I feel safe with you. Emotional intimacy is a core pillar of relational trust. And relational trust is a foundation of authentic community. You can't have authentic community if there's no relational trust. That sense of, I feel safe with you. I can just share 
whatever I want to share, and I know I'm not going to be victimized for it. I can share with you some of my uh, personal things, and I know you're not going to spread rumors about me. So in this message, I'll present a portrait of vulnerability, what vulnerability looks like, a picture of vulnerability. We can't cover everything. We could actually do a whole series on vulnerability, okay? So I'll present to you a portrait of vulnerability with a particular focus on Christ, on his life and vulnerability in his life. I'll also highlight some of the barriers to vulnerability. Why do people struggle with it? And then I will unpack the consequences of the lack of vulnerability and some of the benefits of vulnerability. And I'm going to leave you with a bit of an assessment so that you can reflect on yourself and say, you know what, how strong am I and how open am I to making myself uh, vulnerable? Now, it's important for me to highlight, as I've done a little bit earlier, but I want to unpack it a bit, uh, that there are actually different types of vulnerability. There's physical vulnerability, economic vulnerability, environmental and social. And for the purpose of this message, our main focus is really going to be on social vulnerability, specifically psychosocial or emotional vulnerability. Uh, I want to highlight that in this particular message. You know, embracing vulnerability is synonymous with maturity. It's synonymous with maturity. And I love what the author Madeleine uh, Longley said. When we were children, we used to think that when we were grown up, we would no longer be vulnerable. But to grow up is to accept vulnerability. To be alive is to be vulnerable. I think that's powerful. Now, there are many misbeliefs and barriers associated with the power of vulnerability. And as a result, few people really practice this capability. And vulnerability is actually a capability. It's a leadership capability, actually. So um, we often think that people want to see perfection in us as leaders, yet they're actually looking more for identification. They want to hear you saying, me too, me too, me too. Yes, I've been in that situation, but this is what I did to overcome. If you study the science of likability, you will note that people are more likely to like you if you are willing to demonstrate some degree of vulnerability. And you want to be a likable person because people buy from people they like. Simple as that. People buy from brands that they have an emotional connection with. People buy from brands that they trust. I know that it is human to only project an ideal image of ourselves, isn't it? Right? When we project this ideal image of ourselves to others, it's a fairly human thing we like to do because our minds have been programmed to believe that acceptance comes from perfection. And many of us uh, have had a couple of negative experiences in our lives. Some of these experiences have been mildly traumatic all right, where we are rejected because of our errors. We're rejected because of the mistakes that we've made. And in psychology, we call it globalization, where you then project or even transference, where you project that one experience onto other experiences. Then you end up catastrophizing so many of your life experiences based on that one experience. And you make this assumption that in order for me to be liked, in order for me to be accepted, I have to always project a strong image of strength, that's when I'll be accepted. And we struggle to make ourselves uh, vulnerable as human beings, all right? It's actually a perceptual distortion because it's not based on the truth. The truth of the matter is people are drawn to you when you can actually say, this is me, what's and all, and I'm secure about it, 
all right? So this way of living where you project this ideal image of yourself, it's actually very stressful. It's actually one of the major consequences of uh, lack of vulnerability. We end up stressed out because we are bound by this anxiety associated with someone one day telling us, dude, you ain't all that. Girl, you ain't all that, all right? We've got this fear that that will happen. The best solution for this is to discipline ourselves to be emotionally honest and take the risk of vulnerability. Now, <clears throat> vulnerability is actually a state that many people avoid, yet it's also the place of receiving love, receiving tenderness, and receiving mercy. I need love, but I have to make myself vulnerable enough to share my needs and to talk about what I need, the love that I need. I need tenderness, but I have to make myself vulnerable enough to receive the tenderness. I need mercy. I have to make myself vulnerable enough to receive the mercy. As we explore vulnerability, let's remember the all-important truth. We are social architects who are called to create environments that make it easier for people to make themselves vulnerable. So it's not just about me being vulnerable. It's also about the culture that I'm creating. Are you doing things that make it difficult for people to open up to you? Then you're deactivating authentic community. You're not activating it, right? It's so important to understand that. When people share with you their weaknesses, do, do people uh, feel free to do so? Right? Or are they afraid that you will victimize them and that you will use their mistakes against them? Do you keep reminding people of their imperfect past and do you use that as leverage in your relationship with them? Just think about that. That happens a lot. So there are many reasons why people struggle with vulnerability. It's not just because they don't want to make themselves vulnerable, but they've had genuine experiences, real experiences, where the culture and the environment is not conducive for it. Okay, you hear a lot of people when I'm coaching them and I say, why don't you say this to your boss? Why don't you say that? And they say, oh, Paul, that'll be career limiting. I remember one person, one well-known organization saying, the problem here, Paul, is if you speak up in a meeting, you get walloped. All right. So there wasn't a culture in that environment that created an environment that was conducive for vulnerability. Can your loved ones say to you with assurance, I know that I'm just as loved by you when I share with you my mistakes and my setbacks as I am loved when I share with you my victories. See, we live in a society where it's often easier for people to share their strengths, share their victories, right, than talking about their mistakes. Now, let's talk about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. Jesus made himself vulnerable. Jesus, who's our example, who's our role model, made himself vulnerable, didn't he? Think about it. In the incarnation, right? God becomes man, right? Jesus was born in a state of economic, social, and physical vulnerability. So something he carried with him for all his life, if you think about it. Think of the circumstances of his conception, and the potential to be misunderstood in that situation. Think of how he would have been mocked because of that. Think of how he was born in a manger, which would have come with physical danger. I mean, they would never allow that today, would they? Right? Just in terms of health regulations and so on. Right? He was not from a renowned city. That was a big deal, wasn't it? When people would say, can anything good come from, from uh, Nazareth? Just in terms of his upbringing there. Right? Um, he would have been reminded of this 
throughout his life. It seems like part of God's salvation plan was that the incarnation of Christ would be embedded in vulnerability. Just think about that. Another thing about Jesus' vulnerability is that he was in touch with his emotions. He was in touch with his emotions. A lot of us struggle being emotionally honest. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about being emotionally honest because we struggle with vulnerability. In John chapter 11, verses 32 to 35, it says, when Mary, one of his friends, right? Those Mary and Martha and uh, Lazarus had just uh, died, right? That was their brother. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. So he was in touch with his emotions. He saw other people crying. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. He saw them crying, right? He saw them weeping. And as a result, he was deeply moved. When was the last time you were deeply moved by a situation? He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? So he was both practical. I love this about Jesus. He was both practical, but he was also in touch with his emotions. He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And let me tell you something. He didn't do it in private. He didn't go behind a bush and start, and start weeping. He didn't say, oh, I don't want people to see me weeping. No, this was identification with the people around him. He was deeply moved, deeply, deeply troubled. And the people around him who were also weeping would have seen him weeping too. Now that says to you something about leadership, emotional identification. Jesus made himself vulnerable by crying in front of people. He was not ashamed of that. Right? In addition to this, he had also opened himself up to being misunderstood by his friends due to his delay in, of arrival, if you think about it. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He was not defensive about it. And that's the thing with many of us, we've got this fear of being misunderstood. And our narrative isn't around what does God want me to do? Our narrative is now defending our position. Jesus didn't start explaining himself to Mary. He was deeply moved. He identified with her. He identified with the other Jews who were there and he did something about it. Okay. So many times we're so caught up defending ourselves that we're not practical, right? He was willing to live authentically by obeying God, despite what people might say, right? He was also willing to reveal his emotional state, despite the cultural norm of the day. We know that in many societies today, it's not normal. It's not culturally acceptable for men to just do certain things that are deemed as weak. Okay. Men have to be practical. They say cowboys don't cry. Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable by being in touch with your emotions and actually being authentic about your emotional state? Okay. He was, he was willing to reveal his emotional state despite how people would have looked at that. So many people don't cry because they're associated with weakness. I like what Christine Feehan said in Waterbound. And maybe that was love, being so vulnerable and allowing someone else in so far. They could hurt you, but they also give you everything. Maybe this was love, being so vulnerable and allowing someone else in so far. 
they could hurt you, but they also could give you everything. And maybe that's what love is all about. Into me, see. If I really want to receive your love, I have to let you in. But when I let you in, you can hurt me, but you can also give me everything. And you know, it wasn't just Jesus who wept. Have a look at Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 to 3. This was when Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. We could say maybe he was wise about it. Maybe he knew that it wasn't really for them to actually see what was going on. It was just a family thing. All right. So there are also boundaries with regards to this. This great political leader, look what he was willing to do. He knew he was about to cry. And it goes on to say in verse 2, And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. So they knew he cried. The Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. He wept so loudly. We see how Joseph cried. And these were not silent tears. I like what Sarah Wolf. Uh, writes in some of her rabbinic um, commentaries, says a powerful male political leader is perhaps an unusual role model for emotional honesty and vulnerability. But he also may serve as a role model precisely for those of us who for reasons of gender, profession, or general personality spend most of the time with a tight rein on our emotional self-expression. It is all the more striking that despite his ability to control himself most of the time. Joseph also lets go when he needs to. And it is only at this moment that he is able to become his best self and heal wounds that were created by long ago interactions and family dynamics. Sometimes healing only comes when there's emotional honesty. I'm not saying go and, in, and cry in front of all your staff members. I'm not talking about emotional, uh, emotionalism. I'm talking about an emotional self-awareness that is able to express emotion at the right time. I remember a couple of years ago when uh, my friend, Pastor Taffy, was a pastor in our church. He passed away. And I remember sharing with the congregation the news that morning. It was a Sunday morning. And I broke down in tears as I told the congregation. And I remember around that time, one of my kids actually said, Dad, we've never actually seen you cry. You know, now I've cried many times, but maybe I was just subconsciously hiding it from my children, right? Um, and I remember years ago when my when my my dad heard about my grandmother passing away, I got to see him crying, really weeping. And I remember it was almost a bit of a novelty in the sense of like, oh, I don't know if I've really seen him like this before in this state. And I think the last time I'd remembered him crying was a couple of decades earlier on when my grandfather had passed away. So we're not used to seeing men crying. I want to ask you a question. What makes you cry? What are the rules you have with regards to crying? And are these rules debilitating rules or are they empowering rules? I remember a gentleman in one of my seminars stating that his strategy when he was fighting with his wife was crying, you know. He said, like, you know what, if I just start crying, it solves things for me, right? So I'm not talking about that type of crying. In fact, that's manipulation, isn't it? But one of the masks of manhood is cowboys don't cry. Let's project a strong image. And you know what? It doesn't apply to just men. So many women today, 
They won't express their emotions in the workplace because they've got a mindset of people will think I'm just being a female and I'm just weak, right? Remember that whatever you resist will persist. In other, word, in, in other ways, it will come out in other ways in your life, right? You can suppress the tears, but your pain will come out in many other ways. I like what Brene Brown said in Daring Greatly. Courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. What is inside of you that needs to be seen by other people? What's that authentic self that needs to come out? And I'm using crying as an example. I'm using showing weakness as an example. And I think it's a good example. But there are many other things. One of the things about Jesus is that he associated with the lowly. He associated with the marginalized. He associated with the obscure. Sometimes we make ourselves vulnerable by association. If you look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 14, Bible reads, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. See, when parents are desperate, they'll do anything. They'll forget about protocol because they want their child to be ministered to. But look what the disciples said. It says, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, who do they think Jesus had come for? Right? And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. My question to you is, are you willing to connect with the weak or do you project a macho image of pseudo strength by association? No, these are my people. These are the strong ones. This is who I'm associated with. This is my brand. I remember being exhorted when I was at high school. I was at a boys boarding school and I was exhorted by my friends in my last year of school not to associate with the juniors. See, I would associate with them and I was willing to do so in order to disciple them, in order to mentor them. And I don't regret that. Right. Um, but I was in an environment that prized seniority over authentic community. Have you noticed that it's not normal to just have a thing where it's like, I'll only associate with people who are exactly the same age as me. Think about your best friends today. Think about the people you spend most of your time with. Think about your family members. They're all different ages, aren't they? But sometimes we end up in these schooling setups where everything is so regimented and it's looked down upon if you end up interacting with the juniors. With which young kids do you have a close relationship? Do you pretend that you had a perfect past or are you willing to have them learn from your mistakes? Can you make yourself vulnerable to those who you deem to be junior? Jesus exposed himself to rejection when he called people to follow him. Just think about that. He exposed himself to rejection when he called people to follow him. He was always calling people. The rabbis of the day would have people approach them and follow them. But Jesus went and he called people. In John 4, 18 to 22, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Now who says that? If I see you with a thriving business, and I, and I mean it with all my heart, would I come to you and, and say, hey, stop what you're doing there. Come and follow me. I've got something better. I can make you fishers of men, right? Just think about it. That's what Jesus was doing. He was exposing himself to rejection. The guys could have just turned around and said, are you crazy? 
You know, we need to make a living. How can we just drop everything? You know, you're being so presumptuous. That's arrogant of you to think we're just going to follow you, right? Yet many of us, we fail to build the relationships that God has called us to, the spiritual alliances God has called us to, because we reject ourselves before we can be rejected. Jesus said, come, follow me. This is the same principle when you're inviting people to church, when you're inviting people to be mentored by you. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So he didn't just say, come, I'm going to use you guys. He said, come, I'll make you better. Come, I will take you to another level. What are you offering people? At once they left their nets and followed him. Now Jesus knew something they didn't know. Jesus had prayed about these kinds of things. Imagine calling people to leave their businesses and follow you. You can definitely expect them to say something negative back to you, can't you? Right? Now, there were those that followed Jesus, but there were others that didn't. There were others that said, "Uh, Jesus, I've still got this to do. I've got a business. I've got a farm. Oh, uh, my father's going to die soon. Jesus was comfortable with rejection because he was so full of acceptance from the father. God wants to take us to a place of deep self-acceptance so that we can make the, take that risk of making ourselves vulnerable. You know, Some of them already had a view of Jesus because of his background, yet he still went out to call them. Jesus knew the racism that was there. Jesus knew about that. Do you remember when Jesus called Nathaniel? He was aware of the tribalism. He was aware of how these people viewed someone from Nazareth. John chapter 1, verse 45 to 49. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some translations say in whom there is no guile. That's such a powerful thing. Here's Jesus potentially being rejected by Nathaniel, having someone discriminate against him. Many of us would be offended. We'll be like, dude, I was going to make you something great, but I'm not interested. You know, if 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 you're dissing where I come from, I'm not interested in you. Let me find someone else who hasn't got these tribal issues, right? hasn't got these issues. Yet Jesus speaks to the treasure in him. And he says, here's truly an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Sometimes we'll make ourselves vulnerable only when we can see the treasure in the people we are calling. When we can see the treasure and we look past the discrimination. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. That's verse 48. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Let me say something to you. You can make yourself vulnerable to people, but you will experience the benefits later on because people change. People change. If you are in obedience to God and you are building spiritual alliances that God has called you to build, yes, you open yourself up to potential rejection, but you also experience joy. I'm sure Nathaniel was a great blessing, right? I'm sure he was a great blessing to Jesus in the grand scheme of things. 
Jesus was able to actually see the treasure in Nathanael and still pursue him despite potential rejection. That's so powerful. Sadly, many of us, we fail to activate community because we reject ourselves before we can be rejected. We play it safe, don't we, when it comes to building relationally with people. Jesus was so secure in the love of the Father that he was able to step out and call people to himself. Who is Jesus calling you to build with? What relationships are you being called to initiate and to nurture and to rebuild right now? Are you doing it or are you afraid because you can't make yourself vulnerable? It's a risk, but do it if God is calling you to those spiritual alliances because there's also the blessing. You know, Jesus made himself vulnerable by not compromising his difficult teachings. This is so important. You see, many of us, we've, we're radical for Jesus, right? We're uncompromising. We've got certain convictions that can seem like, yo, this is extreme, but we're not ashamed of them. And you see, you make yourself vulnerable, not when you just teach anything, but when you teach something according to the word of God, that might be a difficult teaching for uh, the society that we live in today. In John chapter 6, verse 60 to 66, right? Jesus was teaching in Capernaum. And I love what takes place here. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. He just said, can you guys eat of my blood? Can you guys basically suffer, right? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And remember, he then asked Peter, he, says, you, he said, to you guys, are you also going to leave me? And Peter said, how can we leave you for your words are spirit and life? Are you going to compromise difficult teachings? Are you going to tone them down because you can't make yourself vulnerable to rejection? You can't open yourself up to actually say to people, this is what I really believe. And I know it's not a popular teaching, but I'm willing to go with this. And you see, when we are all like this, when we are like-minded, it actually helps to build trust amongst us as believers. It's so powerful when we're like-minded concerning the fear of the Lord, concerning holiness, concerning our Christian mission. There's something special about doing life with people with whom you share the same convictions. I believe that if we're going to activate authentic community, we need to be on the same page concerning the things that really matter. It's so important. Jesus was able to express his needs to those around him. This is one of the marks of vulnerability, being able to actually say, hey, this is what I need. You see, if you struggle to communicate your needs, guess what will happen? You'll either end up protesting or you'll become passive aggressive. What do I mean by that? If you notice in a lot of marriages, you'll see maybe a wife nitpicking, accusing a husband, saying you haven't done this, you haven't done that. But if she had made herself vulnerable, right, which a lot of people struggle with, she would have communicated her needs. And maybe she would have said, honey, I actually really miss you. 
I wish you were home earlier so that we could just sit down with each other and just dream. No kids, no admin, just dream together like we used to. Now, it's easier for him to comply with that than someone who's protesting. Very often, we get into protest mode because we're not willing to make ourselves vulnerable to actually communicate our needs. Very important. There's actually a powerful process called nonviolent communication. And what I like about that process, it's a way of giving feedback to people, but including what your actual need is. Very powerful. Other people who don't share their needs, who don't make themselves vulnerable, they become passive aggressive. You know those people, when you're being passive aggressive, you're not coming up front with your needs, right? You just keep quiet. You say, I don't want to be a party pooper, guys. No, it's okay if you want to do it that way. I'm a team player. You can do that way. And then later on, you end up exploding. So you go from passivity to aggression. Instead of just being gently assertive, instead of just uh, standing up for your rights, whilst at the same time valuing other people's rights and valuing their boundaries. It's so important to articulate your needs. And we see that Jesus did so. Look how many times Jesus demonstrates emotional self-awareness, candor, that's when you say what you mean and you mean what you say, and vulnerability in this passage. See how many times you can spot. In Matthew 26, 36 to 46, okay? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he showed them his emotional state, but he also articulated how he was feeling. Stay here and keep watch with me, he said his need. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he led them into his prayer life, right? It wasn't everyone in the world. It was those who were closest to him. And he said, like, he started praying. And the fact that someone was able to record it and take note, you know, that, oh, this is what Jesus prayed. He was praying loud enough for them to have heard, all right? Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, that's quite a state of vulnerability. He's basically saying, here I am, I'm the son of God, but this is what I'm actually struggling with. That is meekness. That is meekness. That is strength under control, right? In verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He wasn't passive aggressive about it. He was candid about it. He said to them, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Very interesting. You know what I see there in Paulo 
uh, Quelo's words in 11 minutes. The strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. That's what Jesus was doing there. The strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. It's not a love that just says, I'm tough and this is all easy for me. It's a love that is able to demonstrate its fragility. In essence, make itself vulnerable. So what are the consequences of a lack of vulnerability? Why is this thing so important? If we don't make ourselves vulnerable, what are some of the consequences? Okay, where there's no vulnerability, you're likely to find a number of the following. Firstly, the absence of emotional intimacy. There'll be no bonding, there'll be no connection. You tend to find political games where people will literally play a lot of political games. Right? Politics is the management of power, isn't it? Power dynamics, political games, because no one is being authentic and saying, this is my weakness, so let me play the game. Thirdly, there'll be unnecessary deadlocks because no one wants to back down. No one wants to negotiate. No one wants to compromise. There'll be aggression because very often, instead of actually taking ourselves to a place of making ourselves vulnerable, we become aggressive. For a lot of people, if you feel you're about to be attacked, what do you do? Attack is the best form of defense. You begin to attack everyone else. There'll be a lack of authenticity, you see, because where there's vulnerability, if I can make myself vulnerable, I'll be authentic about my weakness. I'll be authentic about my pain. But when I'm not willing to do so, there'll be no authenticity. I will go into the counterfeits, right? Projecting strength. I'll put on the mask. There'll also be no energy because pretending drains you. Pretending drains you. When you project that ideal image, it's extremely draining. There'll be anxiety. You know, the fear of being found out creates this anxiety gap. The gap between what you're projecting and what's going on inside of you. There'll be low trust levels when we don't make ourselves vulnerable. People can't trust you. Very often people can pick up that, wait a minute, there's something else going here, but this person is always saying, I'm good, I'm fine. No, 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 I don't have a weakness. Continuously being defensive, for example. Defensiveness is a big one. How do you resolve issues each time you give someone feedback, but they're projecting strength? They'll be defensive and you end up not actually being honest with them. There'll be no emotional honesty. Lack of chemistry and connection. We only connect with people when there's some degree of vulnerability. I love what Haruki Murakami said. What happens, what happens when people open their hearts? They get better. What happens when people open their hearts? They get better. It's healing when you open your heart. That's why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. There's something about bringing things to the light, bringing weakness to the light. I believe in society today, if we're going to activate, if we're going to activate authentic community, we need to learn to talk. We need to learn to talk. I said to you, I'm going to give you a bit of a vulnerability assessment. I'm going to ask you some questions and you can say to me what you think. All right. Well, you can say to the people around you what um, what do you think about where you're at when it comes to vulnerability? My first question is, can you allow others, especially those you deem to be junior, to influence you to change your mind? Maybe even your spouse, your husband or your wife. Do you allow them to influence you? My second question, can you graciously lose an argument? 
I know you love to, love to win an argument, but can you graciously lose an argument? Thirdly, are you comfortable associating with the weak and marginalized at the risk of being unfavorably branded? Are you comfortable associating with the weak and marginalized at the risk of being unfavorably branded? Fourth, can you easily articulate your gaps? Your gaps in terms of skills? Hey guys, I'm not good at that. I'm good at this, but this I'm not good at. Your gaps morally. Hey, this is where I've messed up. This is a weakness of mine. Are you able to articulate your gaps? Fifth, can you share with people your failures just as well as your successes? You know, Paul the Apostle said, I'll boast of my weaknesses. I've seen this with my children. Sometimes they're very enthusiastic to tell me, oh, I got 100% for this test. But if they do badly in a test, you know, it's like, don't tell my brothers, okay? Yeah, uh, right? Are we willing to talk about our weaknesses? Sixth, can you express your fears and inadequacies without shame? Was there a sense of shame you have when you have messed up? Where's that shame from? Where's that condemnation coming from? Seventh, are you able to confess your sins to relevant parties? Eighth, are you free from having to be the hero of your own stories? You know those people when they share with you stories and they're always the hero in their story. I don't know, it tends to happen with us as men when we talk about our school days. Oh, then I did this, then I did that. I remember one guy in my varsity days had to actually end up coming to us. He was from a rival school of ours and we were always talking about, oh, at school we did this and then remember I did this. One day he just came up to me and he said, Paul, Paul, let go. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. So are you always the hero in your stories? Or are you able to share stories that are self-effacing where you're not the hero? Do you have a self-effacing humility, the opposite of arrogance? Ninth, have you uprooted the spirit of independence from your life? That type of independence that says, I don't need anyone's help. That type of independence that causes you to not be able to receive from someone. It's really rooted in pride, isn't it? True maturity is found in interdependence, not independence. And then 10th, are you able to ask for forgiveness? 11th, do you apologize when you need to? That's a state of vulnerability. One of the main reasons why people don't apologize is they're not willing to make themselves vulnerable. Because when I say I'm really sorry, I was the one who messed up this way. This is what I'm going to do to make restitution. When I do that, I'm exposing myself. I'm making myself vulnerable because that person could use it against me and say, remember, you acknowledged you did A, B, C, D. So you owe me one. Okay. It can backfire on me. Twelfth. Are you able to talk about your imperfect past and the lessons you've learned? That's a place of vulnerability. Thirteen, are you able to show any form of perceived weakness, such as crying, such as an emotional state that you might be in? For example, I felt really awkward in that situation. Or I actually felt a bit intimidated by that person. Okay, are you able to do that? And 14, are you able to articulate emotional self-awareness where you're in touch with your emotional state like Jesus was and you're able 
to actually articulate it. I like what Brene Brown said, owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us the most vulnerable. If we want to experience authentic community, I believe we must be willing to embrace vulnerability. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for this message and we really pray that it will be activated in our hearts. May you give us wisdom concerning vulnerability. May you show us who to make ourselves vulnerable to, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would come into our lives and that we would break down the masks that we've erected, Lord, and that we would open our hearts, Lord, to really, really receive love from heaven so that we would be more confident and more whole as we go out and take that risk to call people to a place of discipleship, to call people to a place of maturity and run the risk of loving people in a manner that can cause them to reject us. We really open ourselves to you, Father, and we say, come and transform our community. Come and help us to embrace vulnerability and help us to experience the rewards of it, Lord. That reward of bonding and true connection. Let our relationships be healed because we've been willing to make ourselves vulnerable. Come and do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I trust that you will share this message with others, that you'll talk to them about vulnerability and you'll take that first step and you'll do it wisely with the people who God has called you to build community with. God bless you. We love you.